What's going on, everybody? I'm back again. It's Kieran Dooley, and you're listening to Dooley's Premier League Update. Today is Tuesday, May 4th. Um, It is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. (laughs) I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Um, Unfortunately, this is a soccer podcast, not a Star Wars podcast. Otherwise, today would be quite the special day for this podcast. But... This week, we're going to be going over the Premier League games um, that occurred in match week 34. So that is, going to be, that is going to be from Monday, or excuse me, it's going to be from Friday the 30th of April until Monday, May 3rd. Um, we're going to be talking about quite a lot of stuff. Quite, quite a lot of stuff happened this weekend. Um, the, I'm going to save... Um, the Manchester United versus Liverpool match uh, for last. Um, like that, the, the game never got played, long story short. But up first, um, on Friday, April 30th, we had a Southampton team hosting a Leicester team. Oh, and before I forget, this is my last episode for the podcast uh, I just wanted to thank you guys for being here all the way up until the end and um, giving this podcast a chance and lending me your ears for like 30 minutes to 35 minutes every week. Um, it means the world to me, and um, I really enjoy doing this. It's really fun for me. But back to the soccer. This game pretty evenly matched. Uh, it finished in a 1-1 draw. Um, in the 10th minute, we had Yannick Vestergaard. For Southampton, who's a um, center back for them, he gets booked straight red. It's not even like two yellow cards. He just gets booked a straight red. It must have been a pretty nasty challenge. <sighs> and then the game goes all the way on. Pretty boring match. Nothing happens. First half finishes nil-nil. Um, second half starts. Uh, it's still slow as heck. Um, the first goal doesn't even occur until the 61st minute from a James Ward-Prowse penalty. And then seven minutes later, Lester storms down the field and puts one back in uh, from a Johnny Evans header. Johnny Evans is a former Man U boy. So I always like seeing my Manchester United guys do good. Even though they don't play for us anymore, I still like seeing them perform and make a difference for the club that they're playing for now. As far as the stats go for the teams, we have uh, Leicester City with 70% of the possession and Southampton with 30. Uh, nine shots on target for Leicester with three for Southampton. With <laughs> Leicester sh- shot 23 times total and Southampton only shot five times. Southampton halved. Leicester's touches with 458 to Leicester's 820. They only had 272 passes compared to Leicester's 633. Leicester takes the advantage in tackles as well with 19 to Southampton's 14. And then Southampton, again, 32 clearances (laughs) to Leicester's 5. And Leicester had 10 corners to Southampton's 0. And like I say, every single podcast if you can put away at least two of your corners per game not even two if you could put one of them away you're gonna win 
They had 10 opportunities to score on the corner, and they didn't score on any of them. Leicester was caught off sides five times, while Southampton was only caught off sides once. As far as the head-to-head stats go, uh, Southampton and Leicester have played a total of 30 times. Uh, 10 of those have been draws. 12 wins have been for Leicester, and 8 of those wins have been for Southampton. Moving on to the next game, we have uh, Crystal Palace hosting a Manchester City. And we all know about Manchester City right now. They're on a tear. Uh, they're going big. They're going home. Uh, they're actually playing today in the Champions League against uh, PSG. Um, it's going to be a pretty big game. It's the second leg of the Champions League semifinal for them too. So if uh, Man City can hold on with their 3-1 or their 2-1 aggregate lead, they'll win because um, they were away at their second. They were away for the first leg and they won. 2-1. So hopefully they can figure something out as in PSG because as a Manchester United fan, you don't want to see Man City do anything uh, positive, if you will. <laughs> but as far as this match goes, um, it's Crystal Palace versus Manchester City at Selhurst Park, which is uh, Crystal Palace's um, stadium. Uh, it finishes 0-0 at halftime. And the second half begins. We have a Benjamin Mendy assist to a um, hungry Sergio Aguero, scores a nice goal in the 57th minute. And then literally Crystal Palace gets scored on, starts the second half, and then they give the ball, or not starts the second half. As soon as they get scored on, they start again, and then they literally give it away immediately. Fernand Torres marches right down the field and scores another goal in the 59th minute to make it a 2-0 Manchester City lead and to finish that game as a 2-0 Manchester City win. As far as the stats go for the game, we have Manchester City with 70% of the possession to Crystal's 30%. Crystal's Palace had four shots on target to Man City's three, while Man City had 20 shots total to Crystal Palace's nine. And then they had 888 touches to Crystal Palace's 500. 700 passes to Crystal Palace's 300, and both teams shared a high number of tackles, Man City with 20, Crystal with 18, and then Crystal Palace takes the advantage in the very defensive standpoint with 18 clearances to Manchester City's 10. Crystal Palace had two corners this game, uh, while Manchester City had six, and again, I'll stand on it if you can put away some of those, like look. Crystal Palace had two corners this game. They didn't score a single goal. They finished with zero goals for the game. Let's say they got a, like they got a corner in the second half in the 70th minute, you know. They're down 2-0. They score one goal in the 70th minute. It's a 2-1 game. Their confidence is going to go way up and this is going to be a whole different feel of the game. I just don't understand how they can't put away their chances on corner kicks. I feel like that's like one of the first things I learned whenever I learned to play soccer, like travel ball. And like when the competition started getting like really difficult as I learned, like we learned how to properly attack corners and properly take corner kicks. I was always the corner, the corner kicker, if you will. <laughs> Moving on to the next game for the weekend, we have uh, Brighton and Hove Albion um, hosting Leeds United. Um, game gets underway. Uh, about 14 minutes in to the first half, 
uh, center mid Pascal Gross for um, Brighton scores in the 14th minute on a penalty for Brighton, uh, puts them up 1-0. First half finishes up, uh, the game finishes 1-0, and, um, or the first half finishes 1-0, and then the second half begins. Nothing happens. It's very, very boring in the second half up until the 70th, the 70th, 79th minute. Jeez. <laughs> Forward Danny Welbeck, who's a former Manchester United boy, scores in the 70th, 79th minute to make it a 2-0 uh, lead and a 2-0 Brighton win against Leeds. As far as the stats go... Leeds takes the advantage in uh, the possession game. So they get the 58% possession to Brighton's 42. Brighton had five shots on target with 17 shots total, while Leeds had two shots on target with their 11 shots total. Leeds had 668 touches to Brighton's 535. And then Leeds also had 466 passes to Brighton's 351. Leeds also had 17 tackles to Brighton's 11, and Brighton had 25 clearances to Leeds' 13. And again, Leeds had nine corners throughout the match and did not put a goal in for any of them. I just don't understand. Like I literally just do not get it. You have 10 corners a game, and you can't score on one of them. I want to find out how many of their corners result in a shot on goal in like the same possession, like in the same foot of possession. That'd be an interesting thing to look up. But anyways, moving on to the next game, we have Chelsea Football Club hosting uh, Fulham Football Club. Um, Chelsea is uh, still looking to finish uh, in the top forward for the Champions League berth. Uh, Thomas Tuchel has really um, done really, really well with Chelsea this season. I'm pretty sure that's what everyone expected to happen. I don't think anybody expected him to not do well. Um, He completely came in after Frank Lampard and completely changed how they play. Like, they're even, like, the whole system that they run is different now. It's nothing like Frank Lampard used. But uh, Kai Havertz uh, in the first half in the 10th minute, uh, German center mid, or German attacking mid, he uh, scores in the 10th minute for Chelsea to make it a 1-0 uh, game and a 1-0 half. Second half begins, and he scores within four minutes of the second half in the 49th minute to get himself a brace. Uh, Timo Werner assisted him on the um, second goal, which is uh, good for Timo's confidence. He's been a little shaky this year, which is which uh, is unfortunate because he's a very, very talented forward. As far as the stats go for the game, though, <clears throat> we have Fulham with fifty one point three percent of the possession and Chelsea with uh, forty eight point seven. Chelsea had five shots on target out of their nine shots total, while Fulham had ten shots total, but only three of them were on target. Um, Fulham had 736 touches, while Chelsea only had 699, and Fulham had 521 passes, while Chelsea only had 511. But Chelsea flips the script on the defense 
um, stats because they have 24 tackles to Fulham's 21 and 25 clearances to Fulham's 8. And 7... They <laughs> Fulham was only offsides one time while Chelsea was offsides 7. And then again, Fulham had 8 corners and Chelsea only had 1. <sighs> Man... I would hate to watch these games and like be a supporter of these teams and then watch my team get like 20 corners and not score a single one. That would be so annoying and frustrating for me. But anyways, <laughs> moving on to the next match. We have Everton hosting Aston Villa. Classic match. Um Match was host. It was played in Goodison Park, which is in in Liverpool. Um, it's Everton's home stadium. The first half gets underway, and um, in the thirteenth minute, Aston Villa forward Ollie Watkins um, puts Aston Villa up one nil. Uh, in the first half, um, Everton marches right down the field, comes right back at them in the nineteenth minute. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, English forward for Everton. He uh, bags one back for him for um, an even 1-1 score. And uh, the ha- uh, the first half finishes as 1-1. Second half begins. They're testing each other. Second half strategies out. Team- the teams are starting to get a little tired, a little, a little wary, a little more mistake-driven game. Um, if you give up a, on a mistake, it's probably when you're going to get punished and scored on. So, in the 80th minute, Anwar El Ghazi, which is a left winger for Aston Villa, he uh, just takes it up the field, gives a 1-2 to Bertrand Traore. Traore passes it back to him, and El Ghazi scores and makes it a 2-1 Aston Villa game in the 80th minute. Aston Villa then parks the bus, plays a heck of a defensive game for the rest of the match and holds on to the 2-1 win against a very, very in-form Everton side. As far as the stats go for the game, um, Everton had 47.5% possession while Aston Villa had 52.5%. Five shots were on target uh, and 13 of the shots total for Aston Villa Three shots were on target for Everton while they took 16 shots total. Aston Villa had 664 touches to Everton's 607, and Everton had 421 passes to Aston Villa's 469. 15 tackles for the Aston Villa Villa team, but 20 tackles for the Evertonian team. Um, 15 clearances for Everton while 18 clearances for Aston Villa. And then my favorite stat ever, the winning team had more corners than the losing team. Who knows? Let's just run with this stat and say that they scored on their corners. (laughs) Even though I know that they didn't. (laughs) Pretty evenly matched game, though. Um, it It wasn't even decided until the end of the match. Like Both of the goals were scored in the first half. Um, six minutes apart from one another. Both teams are in the middle of the table right now. Everton's a little more higher, though, because they're trying to um, get a Champions League spot or, 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 heck, 
even a Europa League spot. But um, right now, it's it's looking likely. But uh, they're going to need a few other teams to start losing for them to squeeze into that fourth place or fifth place spot. Even as far as the head to head stats go. These teams have played a total of 51 times and have tied 18. Aston Villa has won 20 of those games, and Everton has won 13. Moving on to the next match, we have uh, Newcastle United hold uh, hosting on to an um, inform Arsenal team. Arsenal's on a bit of a tear now. I, I, pretty, I really like enjoying watch. I really enjoy watching them play here as of late. First half starts. Mohamed El Nini in the sixth minute hits a nice little half volley on the edge of the 18 and rips the netting on the left side of the net on the left side of the goal. Absolute rocket into the goal. His first goal for the Premier League and his his first goal for uh, Arsenal. Quite the, quite the introduction. First half wraps up, finishes one zero in the half. And the second half begins. You know the teams are trying each other out. Newcastle does a, a defensive style game, where they sit in the back of the field, uh, kind of suck you in, and then whenever you uh, show them a little bit too much attacking, they'll. Um, press you in your they'll press you in their own defending third win the ball back and send a long ball out and outpace you and score but Pierre Emmick Aubameyang in the 66th minute for Arsenal scores their second goal and puts the game out of reach and then just to put the icing on the cake Fabian Cher in the 90th minute which is the center back for Newcastle gets a straight red he gets sent off they're playing a man down for the rest of the game probably like five minutes left, and then their best defender is suspended for the next match. So that's a wrap on Newcastle. That's that. I don't have to say much else. They're probably going to get relegated this year if they... Mm, I think if they get relegated, they'd have to lose the rest of the season, like rest of their games this season. I hope that doesn't happen, but you, you just never know in the Premier League. But as far as the stats go for the game, Arsenal is literally taking every single stat and running with it except for the defensive stats. The only one that's close is clearances. But anyways, for the possession, Arsenal had 61 to Newcastle's 39. Um, Arsenal had five shots on target out of their 19 shots taken, while Newcastle only had five shots taken and one of them was on target. Arsenal had 800 touches while Newcastle had 539 and Arsenal also had 441 pass or 641 passes excuse me to Newcastle's 396 Newcastle takes the lead in the tackles department by double with 12 to Arsenal's 6 and Newcastle also had 13 clearances to Arsenal's 12 Arsenal taking care of the only stat that matters they had seven corners <laughs> to Newcastle's three, and they were the winning team. As far as the head-to-head stats for this, I really like this stat. These teams have played 52 times total. Ten of those matches have been draws. 32 of those matches have been Arsenal wins, and only 10 of those matches have been Newcastle wins. Sheesh, man, as a Newcastle fan, or 
if you were a Newcastle fan and if you've been one for any bit of time, I feel like you would be beside yourself anytime you see that you're about to play Arsenal. I'd start stressing and thinking that they're about to cream us because, you know, it seems to be a reoccurring um, <laughs> thing for these games is for Newcastle to lose when they play against Arsenal. And moving on to the next match, we have a Tottenham Hotspur who recently sacked Jose Mourinho and they're currently being coached by, like, I honestly don't know. I think it's just, like, some some guy who's just been in the club who's been one of, the, like, the team's managers, you know what I mean? Like, they help with the practices and stuff like that. It's a British guy, I know that, so he's local. Probably just some local legend or something like that. But anyways, Tottenham's hosting Sheffield United. Quite the game here, quite the high-scoring game um, for one team standpoint. Poor Sheffield. I think they've only scored like two two or three goals this entire Premier League season. They're going to get relegated, man. I think they've lost like every single one of their games except for like four of them maybe. So out of 34 weeks, they've only won four weeks. Pretty bad. It's terrible, but you know... Hopefully, if they do if they do get relegated, hopefully they'll only be in the Championship League for one year, and then they'll come back up into the Premier League for the 2022-2023 season. But in the first half, um, former Tottenham player who went to Real Madrid to come back to Tottenham, Gareth Bale, scores the first goal for the game in the first half in the 36th minute. And that's it for the, uh, for the first half. Um, first half ends, second half begins. Um, Gareth Bale is still still not done. Gareth Bale, 61st minute, scores another one to get himself a brace to make it a 2-0 lead against Sheffield. And then again, seven, uh, eight minutes later, he scores another goal in the 69th minute to make it a Tottenham 3-0 lead against Sheffield. And just to make sure that Sheffield knows that they can't win the game, he only... Ho Ming Son, who is the North or South Korean um, left wing for Tottenham, scores in the 77th minute to make it a 4-0 victory against Sheffield. Tottenham with the stats, though, 65% of the possession went their way, 35% went Sheffield's way. 11 shots were on target out of their 20 shots total. That is a very good ratio. Well, Sheffield had one shot on target from their eight shots. Tottenham had 900 touches to Sheffield's 500, and Sheffield only passed 350 times to Tottenham's 715 times. Both tied on six corners a pop, but when you win 4-0, I'm not even going to bring up that stat. Um, Sheffield, 13 tackles, but it doesn't even matter. They (laughs) got destroyed, and then they had 14 clearances, but if I just looked at that score, I would have not have guessed them to even have registered one clearance. Moving on to the next game. Um, watched this game yesterday myself. We have Wolverhampton Wanderers playing against away at the Hawthorns against a West Bromwich Albion team who is really starting to come up here recently. Uh, coached by Sam Allardyce, a uh, pretty big favorite over there in England. A lot of people like him. Um... His name's Big Sam. He was under a lot of pressure around the Christmas break because his team just kept on losing and kept on losing, but the club helped uh, helped him through and remained faithful to him and kept faith in him and 
helped him out and helped him dug himself out of his own hole. And now his team is winning and winning and winning. But then they played well the Wolves Wolverhampton and they played um Nirito Espiro Santos team. Quite the names that these coaches have though. But anyways, in the first half, Fabio Silva in the forty fifth minute plus two for stoppage time. Uh he scores one for Wolves, makes it a one zero uh game. Game is one zero at halftime. Second half begins and Mabai and Diagna who is a uh, new forward for West Brom, scores in the 62nd minute and um, basically gives West Brom a point, turns turns nothing into something. And the stats prove the same thing. Wolverhampton had 57% of possession while West Brom had 43. West Brom had four shots on target out of their 10 shots, and Wolverhampton had 10 shots on target from their 20. Wolves had 676 touches to West Brom's 547, and Wolverhampton had 467 t- uh, passes to West Brom's 339. West Brom had 21 tackles to Wolverhampton's 20, though, and they had 18 clearances to Wolverhampton's 16. And, you know, I'll bring up this stat this time. Uh, West Brom had five corners to Wolverhampton's six. The game only finished 1-1. I feel like both teams could have done something there at the corners, the corner department. They both could have made something work. Moving on to the next game, uh, we have a West Ham United playing against a uh, a Burnley team at Turf Moor, which is in Burnley. So West Ham's the away team. Game begins. All games were sc- or all goals were scored in the first half of this game. Quite the first half. Chris Wood, forward for Burnley, wins a penalty. He uh, takes a penalty himself after he worked hard to earn the penalty for his team. He takes it himself, slots it in the bottom left-hand corner of the net, side netting. Goalie had no chance, even though he guessed the right side. You can't get over to that side of the net that fast for as hard as he hit it. But West Ham is really fighting for a Champions League spot right now. They're in fifth place, I believe. They might be even be in fourth now after this win. But um, it's just ridiculous to see like, West Ham be so dominant in their performances to prove to us that they want to be in the Champions League. And I'm all for it. Um, Manchester United Loney Jesse Lingard is playing for West Ham right now and is absolutely tearing it up. So I'm not complaining whatsoever. But Mikhail Antonio, who has struggled in the recent seasons for West Ham, has finally found his form this year and puts two away in eight minutes to give West Ham a a one-goal lead, two goals in eight minutes, and a 2-1 win over Burnley. As far as the stats go, we had 55% possession for West Ham and 45% for Burnley. Four shots were on target for West Ham out of their 22, and three shots were on target for Burnley out of their eight. West Ham had 734 touches to Burnley's 593, and um, West Ham also passed the ball 544 times to Burnley's 426. West Ham had 10 tackles and 11, or oh, excuse me, and 31 clearances to Burnley's eight tackles and 15 clearances. Then here. Burnley had five corners to West Ham's four. Maybe they could have worked something out there. But 
that was it for the Premier League this year. Uh, not this year. This this weekend, one game did not get played. It was the Manchester United versus Liverpool game, and I was very upset. I'm a diehard Manchester United fan, so I'm upset that the game never got played. Manchester United fans protesting against the Glazers family's ownership of the club went onto the field on Old Trafford, like inside Old Trafford on Sunday. They gathered on the pitch ahead of the game. They say that they um, turned up on the field around 1 p.m. local time, uh, which is like 1200 GMT time, if you want to get really technical. And um, they went there to protest against the owners with like banners, signs, smoke bombs, and flares. Um, They literally just pushed down the barriers to force their way into the stadium um, ahead of one of the biggest uh, games of the year so far for Man U. Um, because if they had lost against Liverpool on Sunday, Manchester City would have won the league on Sunday. So if Man U gives up any points since they're in second place, Man City wins the league. And that's not something that I'm comfortable with, <laughs> in all honesty, is Man City winning the league again. Man U needs to win it one time before um, Man City wins it two times. You know what I mean? And the reason why um, Joel Glazer is getting such hate from the Manchester United fans is because he was named the European Super League Vice Chancellor or, or Vice Chairman. And what the Super League was is a new league that was proposed by like the top two teams from each league, and they're gonna. They were all thinking about leaving their local leagues to play in this one Super League. And literally the same day where they announced this, that Manchester United was a part of it, our fans went to the training ground where we were practicing and walked onto our field while Manchester United was practicing. Like the full first team was practicing. Right after that practice... The Manchester United team met with Ed Woodburn, who was like in charge of like our transfers and stuff like that. And he, uh, right after he met with our entire team, he resigned. So it sounds like the players told him to get the hell out. You don't come into a, into a team just because you're rich and your family's rich and you try to change the history of the league that they've been in since the beginning of the club in 1867, 1873, whatever the club is established in. I know it was in the, 18, in the 1800s. I know these clubs are almost as old as the United States of America. Like, the fact that they're even trying to leave the league. And it's just because they're trying to get more money. So, the fans staged a protest. It was peaceful until they stormed the pitch. But... The game got canceled. They haven't even announced um, a uh, a new date for the game. I have no idea when the game's going to be played, but they will um, reschedule it for a later date. They did confirm that. But it was just crazy to see fans during this lockdown 
or like during a time where fans aren't allowed into stadiums for like social distancing reasons and like COVID reasons, it was just crazy to me to see them like storm the field and like throw flares everywhere and start tear- like basically tearing up the field, whether they meant to or not. Like it's it's what happened. But that's that. Um, I just want to thank you guys one last time for listening to the 10th episode of uh, my podcast. This is all I have for y'all. Um, thank you guys for all the attention that you've given me. And um, thank you guys for giving me a reason to come back and record these. I hope you guys have a good summer break. And maybe I'll see you guys later this year. See y'all.